Hi, and welcome to a podcast from Hope Springs Church Coventry. For more, please find us on Facebook at Hope Springs Church or on Twitter, we're at Hope Springs Cobb. Thank you and enjoy. Okay, welcome all. Good to see you all. Um, so before I pray, <coughs> I've got to tell you that, that since I last spoke at a church, I've just done a summer of like doing presentations around data. <laughs> so if this is incredibly boring, it's, it's not because of me. Like, I'm really interesting. But like, it's because I've been used to presenting data uh, presentations at work. So um, it's nothing to do with me, really. Um, so Heavenly Father, thank you uh, that you are with us. Thank you um, just for what a joy, what... Um, what a pleasure it is to be in your presence, to worship you, to lift your name high, to, to, to orient ourselves um, and our lives within this world because of where you are placed, because you are seated at the right hand of the Father. Um, so we, we keep you front and centre. We make a conscious, intentional decision to keep you front and centre. Um, help us uh, to hear you. Give us ears to hear. Help us to see you as you see us. And so, Holy Spirit, just come, inspire our hearts, reveal more of uh, Jesus to us and in us and through us and for us, um, whether that be through my words or not. Um, Holy Spirit, just come, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, we are in the second of a brand new series, because John started it last week, um, and it's all about the table. Um, and... This is all the idea of like Jesus welcomes us, Jesus invites us, and and John spoke uh, ridiculously last week about um, Psalm twenty three and uh, two kings something um, about the table of our enemies uh, to 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 get our heads around the idea that Jesus welcomes people that the the table that the Lord prepares in the presence of our enemies isn't um, in the original Hebrew Nina Nina table it's you are welcome to feast with us and he illustrated that and then John did what John does um, which I won't try and uh, summarize because I'd probably butcher it um, but so John started us off about this table that's inclusive that's welcoming that is there that loves our enemies and so today what I want to do is kind of introduce the series in the second instance um, and just orientate ourselves towards what we're actually talking about when we talk about the table. So today I'm talking about the table, Jesus plus nothing. Uh, So when we talk about the table, um, we're really talking about Jesus. Jesus is the table, which is a rather weird metaphor. Like, I don't know, when when Steve was talking to me about it, I was thinking about Jesus kind of just on all fours or something. Um, But that's not what we're talking about. That is a ridiculous... Uh, notion, but actually, when we talk about Jesus, we're actually really talking about the table. So, what I want to do um, is unpack that a little bit. So, what I want to say first is we've got um, the communion table. So, that's obviously a very rich uh, with with religious symbolism. But the table points to something. The table is a symbol. The table is a sacrament. This table is a signifier. And what we want to talk about is not the table. We want to talk about the thing it points to. Um, so I think I've got a slide so Jesus I love this picture actually there's loads of really cool stuff going on in like Da Vinci's picture that's the the last supper Um, and the thing is is that tables are incredibly rich the notion of a table we kind of sort of acknowledge that it's a symbol of something 
but it's so potent, so physical, so visceral, so tangible, that oftentimes we can get caught up on the significance of the table itself. And we know, instinctively, we know that table and food are really important things in society. Even today, where kind of social mores are a little bit more relaxed, a little bit less clearly defined, a little bit less clearly stated. So, for example, we were just talking about barbecue. Uh, I love to barbecue. And when I talk about barbecue, I don't mean kind of just outdoor grilling. I mean spending eight hours stood next to something, smoking slowly under a lid, drinking beer and talking with people. Because it's not just about the mundane process of shoveling coal or wood every 45 minutes over an eight-hour period. It's not about the, the glorious melting amount meat at the end of it. Sorry, uh, pretty much everybody in this church now. <laughs> um, I love it. But it, 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 it's a social event. It's a social happening. And we instinctively know that something about the table, there is bonding. There is, there is forming of community. What do you do on Valentine's Day? Traditionally, you go out for an intimate meal because a meal speaks of that intimacy, that connection, that relationship. What do we do uh, when we're welcoming somebody, you know, new family to church? There'll be meals. What do we do when people are struggling or they're, you know, having a baby? You know, what will happen in those weeks? They will be fed. We know that there's a social element, there's a bonding element, there's a community-forming element to the table. We just don't explicitly say it, but we implicitly know that those things happen. So, for the Jubilee, for example, there was feasting, because it was a celebration. There was a communal feasting. Street parties had tons of food. There was a special dessert made for that, and no doubt over the, the coming days and weeks, there will be more somber meals, maybe drinks poured out. That idea of raising a toast. Implicitly, we know that these things are meaningful for society. In the ancient world, um, I think there's another slide. Yeah, there we go. Uh, in the ancient world, it was, it was more heavy laden with explicit meaning. It was literally a social institution. The table, the practice of the table, was an incredibly rich and meaningful experience. We only have to think about uh, throughout the, the Bible, for example, the, the meaning of sitting with people, of eating with people, the hospitality, of welcoming people. So Abraham welcoming the three strangers that appeared. He had to rush and bake bread. These kind of ideas of welcoming people to the table. The table is a rich instance. In the Roman culture, it was a massive social statement. They would feast on a weekly basis to establish social bonds, social hierarchy, who's where in the pecking order. It would reevaluate how the entire society functioned. This is literally how society is created around a table. <clears throat> and so we have an idea of it, and it's not so explicit, it's implicit. I think there's another slide. There we go. I'm not good at this stuff. Steve's brilliant at this stuff, but I'm not so good. John was brilliant at it as well, wasn't he? But we understand that the table is a sacrament. So literally explicitly we talk about communion as a sacrament what does that mean well a sacrament is simply a physical or visible tangible representation of an invisible divine grace this is explicitly a sign that points to god but tables in the ancient world across all religions do this you think of dietary laws they're not just about 
you know, you shouldn't eat this. There's, that's not just an absolute statement. There's a meaning behind it because it points to purity laws, which points to holiness, which points to entering into the presence of the deity. And that's not just for Christianity, but it's for Judaism, it's for Islam, it's for Buddhism, it's for Hinduism, it's for Sikhism. These dietary laws, they encode how the society functions, how the people work, how the religion gets propagated. And then there's the feasts. So... Judaism is famous because its, its calendar year is marked by dozens and dozens of parties, essentially. Like, the obscure feast of Purim is literally practiced as an excuse now to get absolutely trolleyed. <laughs> and it celebrates the deliverance of the Jewish people in the Book of Esther. But there's countless feasts because it's a remembrance. There's this kind of do this in remembrance. Remind yourself of your cumulative story it was brilliant that we did that song about you know the same god we remind ourselves of what narrative we are part of and feasting is a massive part of that and so the sacraments it's literally a symbol it's it's a tangible thing that points to the divine so the table isn't about the table it isn't about the food on the table it isn't about the drink you consume but it's all about pointing to something and for Christianity, for this specific table in the narrow sense, and sort of the narrow sense as well, it deliberately points us to Jesus. And this is where I want to get to, because we're going to unpack lots of tabley things um, over the course of this series. Uh, I don't know what everybody else is going to talk about, but I just wanted to set the stage really for this. And so I want us to have front and centre the, the proper focus, that it's about Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's all about Jesus and and so it's wonderful that 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 was the thread that kind of came through the worship even to the point of just singing his name but it is all about Jesus but it's really easy to forget that it's all about Jesus because the table itself is such a rich symbol you know I'm not honestly when when I'm doing an eight-hour pulled pork not, not thinking about Jesus much. I'm thinking about the food. I'm thinking about the beer. And I might be thinking about other people that may or may not be around, but sometimes I try and zone them out as well. Sorry. But the table itself is a freighted symbol, so we need to be wary lest we get consumed by this idea of what we eat, where we eat, how we eat, who we eat with. That it's all about Jesus. And so it's Jesus plus nothing. And so um, I'm kind of plagiarising that from Steve. But if I make a reference, if I source things properly, then it's not plagiarism. And Steve got it from Judah Smith uh, from an excellent series, uh, Jesus Is, by the way. Um, So Jesus plus nothing. The table is all about Jesus plus nothing. And so let's just remind ourselves... Of what it is, because as we saw the Last Supper, the, the, the great picture by um, Leonardo da Vinci, Jesus was all about food. Like one of the most common images throughout the Gospels is that of Jesus eating. And we already know, we already get the flavour of the, the, the customs of the ancient world by how freighted those meals always were. But the beautiful thing is, is I've been kind of going back over the Gospels and rereading these texts, is that Jesus constantly reconfigures the expectations about the table. Like every single instance, and I think, yes, 
So that's not all of them. So this does not reflect when Jesus actually partook of Passover, of which, depending on which gospel you read, there could be between one and three. But it's wonderful. So Jesus and the table, and he's constantly reconfiguring it, not in this kind of egotistical, oh, it's all about me. Um, you know, like when Jesus sings worship, does he sing to himself? And it's all about me. Um, but all of these events are phenomenal. So Jesus at these events, so the wedding feast at Cana, it's a wedding that's going south. It's going to embarrass the host because he's running out of wine. And that's just a big social faux pas in those days. So Jesus creates gallons and gallons of apparently brilliant wine. But it points to something. Because if you read Isaiah, you get the feel that when the kingdom of heaven comes, it comes with feasting. It's like a marriage feast. It's this big, giant celebration. So Jesus takes a pretty ordinary, mundane affair of a local wedding, and he points to what he's doing. The calling of Levi, a tax collector. A tax collector. Now, that's not kind of like the HMRC, where you just kind of get mildly cheesed off when you get something in the post or an email from them. It's like this guy has sold out his country to make money off his fellow citizens. Like he's scamming people that he should be really close to. Because remember, the societal bonds in those days were very, very close, were very intimate. So Matthew Levi is scamming his friends and neighbours. So he's like an outcast. He's been removed from the synagogue. He's no longer allowed to fellowship. He's the outsider. And bearing in mind that who you ate with was a statement of who you deemed a peer, of who you deemed worthy. Jesus, I'm eating with you. Why are you eating with this tax collector is, 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 is the response. And it isn't just that he has a meal with him. He actually calls him, come follow me. You're included. You're part of establishing the kingdom of God. Yep, the nation of Israel pushed you out. But you're, you're on team Jesus now. Just in case we were fuzzy, Jesus does it again with Zacchaeus. And he does something even worse socially. He invites himself. I'm eating at your house. I'm going to host a meal at your place. Provide the food and wine. I'll turn up and compare it. Again, absolutely outrageous. But Jesus is reconfiguring the expectations. Jesus is saying the social bonds that you form through the table are not the thing. The thing is me. And I include everybody. Whether you like it or not. And we should go on. Can you imagine if uh, at one of the, the pizza parties, <laughs> um, a woman of ill repute came along, invited herself, and then started washing Steve's feet? That'd be awkward, wouldn't it? There'd be a few questions asked, right? You can, even today in the modern world, we can feel how, oh, that, that's a bit weird. Um, Steve? <laughs> Jesus reconfigures what it means. The welcome, who's included? The feeding of the 5,000. Well, it's just plain miraculous. And again, the 4,000. In case we were fuzzy with the 5,000, he does it again in a more low-key way. Trim off 1,000 people. We'll play it safe, you know. We don't want to be as flamboyant as last time. Mary and Martha's house. Mary sat in the posture of a disciple learning from a rabbi. Again, reconfiguring social bounds. He goes to the people who were the people that you should be feasting with. You know, if you're going to have a meal, you better rub shoulders with these guys. And he turns up to their houses and tells them off. Yes, this is rubbish. What are you on about? No, I don't like your food. But Jesus doesn't care. He's reconfiguring what the table means. And he does that quite a few times, which is quite amusing. 
Simon the leper's house. I mean, the name says it all, really. Social outcast, yeah, be a leper. The Last Supper, he takes the most sacred feast in the Hebrew calendar and audaciously repoints it to himself. The Emmaus Road. The disciples have seen their leader crucified. The bottom has fallen out of their world. They're leaving Jerusalem, trying to figure out what the heck has just gone on. And Jesus turns up, and how does he re-establish hope? Well, first of all, he explains the scriptures to them properly. But then he breaks bread. That's how they recognise him. Jesus was recognised because of his table practice. That's how they knew it was him eventually. He turns up to the disciples in Jerusalem, who again were all hanging their heads, not having a clue. And to prove, you know, this is, this is one of those apologist-type things, where to prove that he was bodily resurrected, he eats fish. But again, it's this reconstitution of hope, reconfiguring what they actually thought the Messiah was about, reconfiguring mealtime. And then my favourite, actually, is this kind of fish breakfast at Galilee. The place where it all began. And the way it all began. Hey, Pete, throw it on the other side, mate. You'll do better. It's him. And then he repatriates Peter into the fold. There's a restoration that goes on. Again, this kind of table fellowship. These people that sold him out. And he deliberately seeks after the one who was the most, kind of, with the most hubris, said he would never sell him out. And he didn't make a point of restoring him publicly to embarrass him, to make him feel ashamed of what he did. But it's because everybody knew he was out. So Jesus had to make a public point of re-inviting him back in. The table means something, but it's only meaningful because of Jesus. If we took Jesus out of all, any of those, they would soon lose their significance. So Jesus plus nothing. So even from that kind of scattergun approach to just remembering what the table means in the Gospels to Jesus... It means invitation. For those who weren't invited, it means invitation. For those who have been made unwelcome by society, it means welcome. For those that have fallen away, it means reconciliation. For those that have never been allowed to be part, it means that they can participate. And that's exactly what happens at the communion table. The exhortation to come to this very narrow idea of the table. Narrow in the most positive way, but this this very specific event of the table. Is to be reconciled with one another first. And then to, to know that you are reconciled with God. This is an invitation to participate. You are welcome into the presence of God. Goodness knows what the church has made it over the years. <clears throat> because the table is not the thing. That's why anybody can come to the table, because the table is not the important thing. The important thing is what the table points to, and that is Jesus. Yeah. And so I'm going to do the depressing thing now. I'll talk about what happens when we actually forget. Because in this community, we're all on board with all that stuff. Yeah, welcome, inclusion, participation. God loves us. We know that. We know that deep in our bones now, hopefully. But what happens when we forget? What happens when we get confused about the... The, sign- the signifier and the signified. One's if when we get confused about what this, the actual thing the symbol points to. One's when we get confused about the sacrament and the grace of God. I think there might be another slide. 
What happens when we forget it's Jesus plus nothing? I love that, the, the strokes through font. I felt really smart when I did that. <laughs> <coughs> I felt like I'm not in my mid-40s anymore. I'm just going to cry a little bit. Okay, so the brilliant thing is, is in the New Testament, there, there are at least three instances where people forget that it's about Jesus. There's feasting without the notion that it points to Jesus. Now, the first one, I'm going to go through these and then I'm going to bring out some conclusions and then I'll finish in about three hours. Um, so in Mark 6, yay, this is, this is the banquet feast that Herod holds. So to give you some context, Herod has been absolutely torn a strip from by John the Baptist. You cannot marry your dead brother's wife. That is absolutely immoral. So he's eventually arrested John the Baptist and has him in the dungeon of his house because all good Middle Eastern houses have dungeons apparently. And so Herod throws a banquet on his birthday. Now to, to modern ears that sounds really weird. Please come to my birthday party. But that's not the way it is. If you were the one in power, if you were the, in the driving seat of the, of the, of the banquet, that, that, that was a place of honour. Like you, you were honoured if you threw the party. So just, just a note, Lydia. Um, and so he invites all of the important people, because that's how feasts and banquets went in the ancient world. You invite the people who were near your peers, just so you can establish, yeah, I'm, I'm better than you. So that's what, exactly what Herod's doing. And then... Not, you know, this has been made to be something that's completely not. Um, there's there's after-dinner entertainment, which is, again, was common in the ancient world. In the Roman world, they used to have lectures after dinner. So, again, just in case, <laughs> just an idea there. <laughs> um, so, there's a dance. And to show how... Um, how, how great Herod was, he makes this magnificent kind of promise, this pledge, this oath. Whatever you ask of me, I'll give. And because obviously in the background, lurking in the background, is this like politicking that's going on, this real politic that's going on. So the new wife of Herod, who was the wife of his brother, get the head of John the Baptist. See, but Herod didn't want to do that. But because of the constraints of the meal table, he had to do something that he didn't want to do. Even though he was supposedly the most powerful person in the room, he was constrained. And he couldn't refuse. So John the Baptist dies because of a social convention around a table. Okay, the next one then. Galatians 2. And I love this. Can you imagine the stones on Paul when he stood up to Peter? Right, so Peter's the guy that hung around with Jesus for three years. He got called by Jesus the stone on which the church will be built. Right, so he is the main man. But the problem is, is Peter, and again, we all love Peter, because through Acts, God has to keep shushing him. Peter's like, what, what do we do next? I reckon we should do it. Shh, Peter, that's not how it goes. You are going to go to Cornelius' house. Yes, I know he's a Gentile, Peter. Just shush, just listen. Yeah, you are going to eat the food with them. That's okay. Don't call anything unclean that I say is clean, Peter. Have you got that? Yes, I've got that, God. I've got it. Goes and has a meal. And then he goes to hang out with Paul because Paul's like the, the, the apostle to the Gentiles. And so he's having a good time with Paul and his mates, all these Gentile Christians, all these believers. And then all of a sudden a crew turns up from Jerusalem, from HQ, from James. James, the brother of Jesus, who's now apparently in charge in Jerusalem, the Jerusalem church. So James, the brother of Jesus, 
because of nepotism, is now the head guy. And Peter gets scared. And so he retracts from table fellowship with the Gentiles. And Paul just calls him out on it. Paul has zero issue with embarrassing one of the chief guys. That's like kind of um, Luke at Salesforce challenging like the chief operations officer or something. Seriously, I don't think what you did there was great. Yeah, you might want to step back from that. But do not on Twitter. <laughs> and Paul challenges Peter, what are you doing? That is not what the table is about. You had it, Peter. You knew what it was about. God had to shush you and tell you directly, but you got it. What the heck are you doing now? Because Peter forgot that it was about Jesus plus nothing. He thought it was about the religious rigmarole that went around the table. He forgot that it was just about Jesus. He forgot all those years of fellowshipping with Jesus. That He forgot that Matthew was part of Team Jesus. He forgot. And then in 1 Corinthians 11, Corinthians was this church that Paul deeply loved. And they were probably the most problematic church that he dealt with. And so they're trying to have the communion. And communion was a lot more loose than what we do here with like the little cups. And, you know, we've sanitised it massively for, the, for the modern consumption. But what was happening was the wealthy, because this is, be- this is the beautiful thing about Corinth, because they had such a diverse community. They had slave and free, Jew and Gentile, male and female, all in the community. So well done there, Corinth. They've done a great job. But when it comes to the communion, they forget. They forget that it's about Jesus plus nothing. So the wealthy, they get around their own table. They get around their peers and they start eating this luxurious feast. Because they're wealthy. They deserve to eat it. You know, the poor, well, they can just pull themselves up by the... They need to work harder. You know, we got here by work and also a massive inheritance. But we got here by hard work. And so the wealthy were eating first and they were eating better. And the poor were left on the side to eat their meagre feasts. And this was supposed to be in in remembrance of Jesus. This was supposed to be Jesus plus nothing. They imported the spirit of the age, the zeitgeist, into what should be the spirit of Christ. So how do we remedy this? I think there's another side. So how do we get back to that Jesus plus nothing? And, And wonderfully, all three of these scriptures, Mark 6, Galatians 2... And 1 Corinthians 11. All illustrate how exactly how we get back there. So after Herod's feast, I love the way... Okay, this isn't like um, just a continuous narrative. This is like juxtaposing episodes. So you know how you, like, you watch these cool new series now and you see this juxtaposition between two different characters like this. That's exactly what's going on here in the Gospel of Mark. So you have Herod's feast. And then the next thing you have is the feeding of the 5,000. You couldn't get two different mealtime habits. But this is the link, this is the bridge. What is the antidote to the feasting of Herod that enslaves even the most powerful to conform to society? What is the thing that helps you escape from that trap? From caring so much about what everybody else thinks that your reputation rises and falls on how you deal with that? Come away. Come away all by yourselves and rest. Get out of that sphere of influence. Come away. And notice, by the way, this isn't the individualism that we want to do in the modern world. You know, you go on a retreat, Luke. You get your space. You know, maybe don't even take Lydia. Just go on your retreat. And that's how we want to do it. 
But he's talking to all of the disciples. Come away, all of you together, as a community, refresh yourself as a community, mutually refresh, mutually refreshing each other with Jesus. Okay, so the, the table, the community that was at the table of Herod, that has so much negative influence on him, that he's compelled to do something against his own will, the community at the table of Jesus, mutually refreshed, mutually refreshing each other. Galatians 2 then. So how, how do we move on from that? Getting, getting scared and getting wrapped up in the religiosity and all of the paraphernalia of the table itself. Forgetting that the table is about Jesus, not about who you eat with. Reminding yourself, refocusing on what it is that's important. And this is obviously one of those kind of really famous verses. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who liveth in me. And the life that I live, now I live through Jesus Christ. Could Paul be any more stark? Could that dressing down of Peter be any more pointed? You forgot, Peter, what it was all about. And you of all people should have known. It's just about Jesus. And then 1 Corinthians 11. And I love this. It's so simple. But when you actually get into the praxis of it, it reconfigures, it forms communities. When you get together, wait for each other. Be patient. Paul later goes on to say, because love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not push itself forward. Love is not easily angered. Love is not boastful. Because that is exactly what was happening at the table. And the beautiful thing about what Paul does, because we can get the idea that Paul is like quite an angry man, but he doesn't tell off the wealthy for having their feasts. What he says to them is, look, if you're going to do that, that's okay. Just do it at home. This is a different table. Remember that. Wait for each other. And so... I'm going to finish there and then we're going to move to communion. So to remember that it's Jesus plus nothing. I had like a really snappy conclusion. It kind of loses its impact when you have to go find it. (laughs) I should have put it on a slide. So as a community, be formed in the image of Christ. Know that the table is part of that formation, but it's not the table. It's Jesus Christ that it points to. Jesus plus nothing. Spend time with Jesus. Come away with Jesus into a deserted place, away from the things that would pressure you into doing things as if Jesus plus nothing didn't exist. Refocus on Jesus. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live through faith in Jesus. And wait for one another. Patience is one of those terrifically um, formational practices. It seems so simple, but actually to be patient, to not run off ahead, to not think that I'm entitled, you know, like, so for me, oh, I read all the books, of course I can go do that thing. Because it doesn't mean anything. It's Jesus plus nothing. That's what's meaningful. And we only find Jesus plus nothing when we wait for one another, when we wait as a community, because that is what the table is all about. The table is all about Jesus plus nothing. And so to finish... We're going to move to communion. I tried to do something a bit funky, um, but it kind of loses its... You know like how Rob Bell used to do it at Mars Hill, like where he used to do like really groovy things, like when he spoke about the 99 sheep. He actually had 99 sheep come into the church. When they did a series on Song of Songs, they had like the whole place, like a garden, with like flowers and plants and everything everywhere. 
Um, so I was talking about table, so here's a table. <laughs> this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. I love that. It is made ready for those who love God and for those who want to love God more. So come, you have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed. Come, because it is the Lord Jesus Christ who invites you. It is God's will that those who want to should meet God here. So, amen. So, without any ceremony, without any pretense, this is all about Jesus. Please come and partake. I should probably open the bread, but other than that, you, 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 I won't say you're on your own, but you know. You know what you're doing. This is gluten-free and dairy-free bread, by the way. Um, but that is alcohol. Um, so enjoy. <laughs>